Let's open with a word of prayer. I know we just pray, but let's pray for the word and we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment, minister to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. So by way of quick review to kind of, if you just come and you haven't been here for First Chronicles yet, so Chronicles was written to the church, well, to the Israelites, who had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And the reason they were taken captive was because the children of Israel had started worshiping false gods. God had given them repeated warnings. And because of their unfaithfulness, he allowed them to be taken away captive into Babylon. Now, after 70 years in Babylon, the Lord is bringing them back to Israel. But those who've been gone... For 70 years, most of them don't even know the history of Jerusalem. So Chronicles is being written to those people coming back to Jerusalem to understand the history of Israel and Jerusalem and God's plan for his people. Now, chapter 15 ended with the joyous return of the ark. Remember, this is the ark of the covenant. This is a box, not a boat. Amen? So the ark of the covenant was essential to worship. It was the thing that resided in the Holy of Holies, and only on the Day of Atonement could the great high, the high priest go in and make the atonement. Today they call it Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They would take the blood of the Lamb and they would sprinkle it on the ark. Now we know that the ark is a picture of Jesus. Even though this is a couple thousand years before Jesus came to earth, we know this is a picture of Jesus, and we see it in so many ways. First of all, there were three things inside the ark. It's a jar of manna. Jesus is the bread of life. There was a rod of Aaron. He was the, the high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. And then there were the tablets of the Ten Commandments because Jesus is the word. Amen? And then on top of it was a mercy seed. And that was the mercy that covered the law. See, the law can't save us. We can't be good enough to save ourselves. That's why we get saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when the mercy is covering the law, we can be redeemed. And you'll also remember that on the top of the ark, were two, and most of you, the only ark you've ever seen is in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but okay. It still works, amen? So they had the two angels on the top, and they each, their wings touched, and when, when Jesus rose from the dead, when Mary Magdalene came in that morning, when those who came in to seeking Jesus, what did they see? An angel at the top, an angel at the foot, and the bloodstained clothes of Jesus in the middle. See, the ark, even though we're 2,000 years before Christ, it was always pointing to Jesus, Amen? So the ark had been lost because they had walked away from the Lord, and now they're bringing the ark back. They're bringing it back to Jerusalem, and that's what we ended with last week. And David, King David, who had waited for over 30 years after being anointed king to become king, as king, the first thing he does is he wants to bring the ark back. He wants to reinstate worship and to get people back focusing on the Lord. It says there in verse 29 of chapter 15, That last verse there, it says, And it happened, as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. David, I think, is more excited about the return of the ark than anything we see in Scripture. Because he is so blessed that the ark, the presence of Almighty God, is back where it belongs amongst God's people, that he's dancing before the Lord. You know, it's funny, some of the old worship songs we used to sing, you know, when the spirit of the Lord is in my heart, I will dance like David danced. Amen? And you know what? David was rejoicing. He was so focused on the Lord, he didn't care what anybody else thought. He was celebrating the fact that the presence of God was back amongst God's people. And he began to dance before the Lord. And his, his wife, who was the daughter of King Saul, who had tried to kill him for many years, she despised him. And many people will debate why that was. Some thought he thought it was unkingly. Well, her dad was a disaster of a king. So I think anybody who's worshiping the Lord is more kingly. Amen. But she despised him. And I think it was because part of it, that he loved the Lord more than he loved her. And by the way, the best thing you can do as a husband is love God more than you love your wife. Because if you love God more than you love your wife, you're really going to love your wife. Amen. A godly man will love his wife lay down his life for his wife. He will serve his wife. The same is true for the wives that are here. If you love the Lord more than your family, you will be an amazing wife and mother. So now we come to chapter 16. If you have your outline, grab it. And this entire chapter is really about one thing. It's about worship. So now that the ark is back, 
Now that the presence of God is back, remember he's writing to those who had been in captivity for 70 years. They're about to come back to Jerusalem and he's sharing them the heart of worship. And so here's the outline quickly and then we'll dig into the text. So the heart of worship, we're gonna see the joy of true worship. That it's a joy. Worshiping the Lord is a get to, not a have to, amen? Yeah. I, wanna, I wanna say, look, if you guys know me for five minutes, you know I love you, but you also know I'm pretty direct, Amen. Let me just say this. If you don't like to worship, you need to get saved or something. Amen? Because here's the reality. What's the one thing we're going to do in heaven that we do on earth? We're not reading our Bibles in heaven. Everybody's saved. Amen? The Lord is there. We're not going to, yeah, we're not going to be evangelizing. Everybody knows the Lord. But we are going to worship. Amen? So if you want to get a taste of heaven on earth, worship. I would encourage you when you're in your car, put some worship music on. In your house, put some worship music on. And there's the joy of true worship. Then we're going to see, again, number two, that a spiritually mature believer has the heart to worship. Worship is a choice. Worship is singing to an audience of one. By the way, when we worship, we're not singing to the people leading worship, and we're not singing to each other. We're singing to him. Amen? So we're singing to an audience of one. Worship remembers how good God is and all he's done for us. You know what? When you think about the fact that God saved you, he redeemed you, he's forgiven you, he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you, it should make you want to worship him. Amen? Number four, worship acknowledges the greatness of God. That word great gets thrown around a lot. Only one person deserves it. And that's our, that's our savior. Amen? No one else is great, only God. And then finally, worship is filled with joy. Then we'll see thirdly that true worship comes from a heart of thanksgiving. Again, when, we th- when we're thankful for all that God has done for us, it drives us to our knees into a heart of worship. Worship remembers the promises of God. I want to encourage you that when you're struggling, when you're going through difficult, anybody going through a difficult time right now, raise your hand. Almost every hand's up in here, okay? By the way, as Christians, this is counted all joy when you fall into various trials, not if, but when. So you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go into a trial. Amen. Trials is part of this life. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But when you're going through difficulty, remember the promises of God. Remember the grace of God and the mercy of God. And you know how you remember it? Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Amen. You open up the Bible, you open it, you read it, and you obey it, and you watch how God will transform your life. Number five, worship rests in God's protection upon us. You know, even when we are not perfect, God protects us. This is a good thing because we're never perfect. Amen. And so in the midst of our frailties, God is the one who protects us. Do you know that nothing can come into your life without passing through the hand of God first? Do you know that the enemy cannot touch you unless God allows it? And if he allows it, he's going to use it for his glory and to mold you more into the image of our Savior. Number six, when we worship the Lord, we are proclaiming his greatness to a lost and a dying world. Don't you love when you hear other people worshiping the Lord, especially when it's not at church? Amen? By the way, I, you can hear me, my car, and the so most of you don't have a full-time job. I drive a couple hundred miles a day on average, and I am cranking worship in my car very loudly, okay? Because that's how heaven's going to be, amen? But you know what I love? When I pull up to a light and I'm cranking up worship and somebody pulls up and honks the horn, and it's like, you know, we got Jesus in common, we got everything in common, Amen? And I love when other people worship. And you know what? When we worship the Lord, it proclaims the greatness of our God to a lost and a dying world. He, what, here's four reasons uh, we should proclaim our God for, for who our God is to a lost and dying world. One, number one, he's great. Number two, he is to be feared above all other gods. Uh, all other gods don't exist and are worthless. Amen? And he is the creator. Number seven, if we don't worship, creation will cry out. The Bible tells us that creation can't hold back worship if we won't worship. Tells us that the rocks will cry out his name if we don't. Number eight, in worship, we celebrate God's faithfulness. When we're worshiping the Lord, we're thanking him and we're thanking him for his faithfulness. By the way, he he can never lie. He can never not fulfill his promises and he can never not be faithful. Amen? He's always faithful. He's always true to his word. We can always trust him. He's the true and living God. And then finally, worship is to be continual. We're to worship the Lord nonstop. Amen? So let's begin there, looking at verse 1, the joy, joy of true worship. Let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, So they brought the ark of God 
and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected. We talked about this last week that he still doesn't have, hasn't brought all the, the elements that belong in the tabernacle. Remember, there's the altar, bronze altar, there's the there's the table of showbread, there's the bronze laver, there's the uh, the golden lampstand, and there's the altar of incense, all of which point to Jesus because he's the light of the world, he's the bread of life, he's the intercessor, and he's the one that, you know, the bronze altar was, had four posts on it where they took the animal and tied it down in four places, and it's a picture of the cross of Calvary. So it all points to Jesus. But at this point, he had just put up a tent where they could bring the ark and have it and the presence of God there with them. And it says, then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. So while King David had his flaws, I believe this is a prime example of why David is referred to after man, uh, a man for God's own heart, because Israel had moved away from the Lord. And up until, up until the time of King Saul, we're not walking in his presence. And David's greatest display of joy took place when he brought back the ark and he was so blessed. And now he's going to make offerings before the Lord. So when David had finished the burnt offering, so a burnt offering speaks of consecration. There are, there are three different types of offerings. There's a sin offering that was made to atone for your sin. Now we know that the old covenant could not pay for our sins, but it was pointing to the one who would. They would, they would bring lambs and goats and, and bulls and even sometimes doves, but they would bring these animals and make these sacrifices because the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. By the way, the first time there was shedding of blood in all of human history took place in the Garden of Eden. If you remember in the garden that they disobeyed God, right? You can have anything you want. Just don't touch that one tree. And what did they do? They went to touch that one tree. And Satan says, if you go touch that tree, he knows you'll be like him. And so they went and touched the tree to aid of the, the, the fruit. And what happened? They, they were naked and ashamed. They, it separated them from God. Sin is an archery term. It's a, the distance between where you are and the bullseye. And we're separated from God. But what's interesting, they were so ashamed that they covered themselves with fig leaves. And then what did God do? He slayed an animal and gave them animal skins to cover themselves because without the shedding of blood, there can be no covering for sin. Amen. The Bible rocks. It all points to Jesus. Okay. And so there's the sin offerings, having an animal pay for your sin. Again, a picture of what Jesus did. What was said about Jesus when it started his ministry? John the Baptist saw him coming and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See all those lambs and goats that tells us cannot pay for our sin, but they were pointing to the one who would. And that's why we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. But there are also burnt offerings. And this was a sign of dedication to the Lord. And this is one of the offerings that David made where they would take the entire offering and burn it all up completely. They didn't keep any of it for themselves. They sacrificed it all to the Lord. And it's a picture of us surrendering every aspect of our lives fully to the Lord. Amen? People say, Pastor Dave, you're kind of radical. Like, we have to give God everything. By the way, if you give God everything, he'll do a better job with it than you will. Amen? When you surrender to him, he knows better than we do. And we surrender to the Lord. And this is a picture of the worshiper being totally consumed, totally being given to the Lord. It says this in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and a perfect will of God. God has called us to surrender our lives to him. Why do we surrender our lives to him? Again, because he is a faithful, all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And when we give our lives to him, he will, he will direct our lives and bless our lives in a way that we could never do on our own. And then thirdly, there's a peace offering. And this is similar to having dinner with God. They would sacrifice a portion of it, and they would take the other portion, and they would feast on it. And so it was a time of, of celebrating. It's like an agape feast that we have on the first Sunday of church, where part of it was sacrificed to the Lord, and part of it was used, again, for basically having communion with God. So what did David do? He had both the, offered the burnt offering, what was fully consumed, and then a portion of it he sacrificed to the Lord, and then he shared it with the people. They were celebrating the fact that God's presence was back in Jerusalem that they, they were back to focusing on the Lord again. They're, instead of the false idols of this world and the false gods of this world, it was like they were rededicating their lives to the Lord. Amen? 
You've heard me say this before. Maybe you walked with the Lord for a time and maybe you walked away. And the good news is you can take, you know, a hundred steps, a thousand steps, a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse number three. Verse number two says there, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of God of the Lord. See, I love this. Go, now what is he doing? He's, he's praying for them. He's blessing them in the name of the Lord. See, the Lord is back in their midst. They're, they're, you know, they're worshiping God again. They're giving God the proper place that belongs in their life. And guys, we can't worship the Lord if we don't walk in his presence. Amen. We need to have intimate fellowship with the Lord so we can worship him truly. And then verse three says, then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both men and women, to everyone a loaf of bread. I don't think it had anything on the bread we get here, but I'm just saying. A piece of meat and a cake of raisins. So they sat down and had an agape feast. And all the people of Israel gathered together. Now remember, when they were bringing the ark in, they were all singing. There was a huge caravan worshiping the Lord on the way in. And now they've gotten there, and the tabernacle is you know, now indwelt by the presence of Almighty God in the ark. And now they're celebrating again, and they're having this wonderful time again of worshiping the Lord together. He dealt to everyone of Israel. The food that David distributes is probably a result, again, of the peace offering. And David made the offerings, and he gets to, again, keep the food, but instead he decides to share it. And I want to say something. There's a picture here. When you and I have intimate fellowship with God, it should impact other people around us. It's not just, you know, Jesus didn't just save us so we could go sit in a closet and wait for him to come back. Amen? You know, he saved us, he redeemed us, and now he wants to use us to minister to other people. You've heard me say a dead sea is dead because it's all inlet and no outlet, and God wants to use us for his kingdom and for his glory. So notice, notice the, the order here. First, David worships God. Second, David gives to the people. And the, so we see that the first thing we do, if we have intimate fellowship with God, then we can bless others. But if we don't have intimate fellowship with God, we're not going to be able to bless anybody. Amen. See, only if, we, if we're walking in intimate fellowship with God, he's going to flow through us on people around us. And we're going to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. If you have problems getting along with people, go to God and let him clean you up. Amen? If you want to be a blessing to people, you must first worship God. If you've really been worshiping God, you will be a blessing to people. Love God and love people, right? What's the greatest commandment? Remember when one of the religious leaders came to Jesus, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Abbreviated version of that is love God and love people. Amen? If we love God, we will love people. So point number one, the joy of true worship. Notice as they came together, they fellowshiped together, there was joy amongst the people, they feasted together, they were praising God together. What a wonderful, wonderful picture for us to follow. Number two, a spiritually mature believer has a heart to worship God. We're going to take a few minutes on these three verses here. Notice what it says in verse four. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to, the, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. So he appointed certain Levites. So this is a word that, seemed, again, it speaks of people who are called and gifted by God to lead people into worship, to, to intercede. Now, what is a priest anyway? Okay, we don't, by the way, we only have one great high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we don't need priests today, all right? And I know that's going to blow some people's gig right now, but that's okay. We don't need them. We have the Lord, amen? Now, we'll say this, that what does a priest do? What does a pastor do today? A priest in those days, what they did is they represented God to the people, and they interceded with God for the people. So they were intercessors, so what they do, when they were with the people, they would speak for the Lord. They would proclaim the truth of God's word. And then when they went to God, they would pray and intercede on behalf of the people. So they were intermediaries. Well, we only have one intermediary now, and his name is Jesus Christ. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes on our behalf. Now, but notice here, I want you to see this, appointed some to minister before the ark. First of all, we're going to see that worship is indeed a choice. It's a choice you make. 
You choose whether to worship the Lord or not. You choose whether or not you want to spend time in his word or not. But worship, worship is something that comes out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. See, if what's in your heart comes out of your mouth, words don't slip out, they pour out from your heart. Amen? Oh, that word just slipped out. No, it didn't. It came right from your heart, right through the Holy Spirit, and right out your mouth. Amen? And so what happens is, if you want to find out where someone's heart is, just listen to the words coming out of their mouth. And if you have a love for the Lord, you can't help but talk about the Lord. Amen? Now, he's in teaching the youth, so I can pick on him, but if you're around Joshua Camper more than 30 seconds, are you going to hear Bible verse? What's the answer? The word of God just, you know, because he loves Jesus so much, he can't help but have it coming out of his mouth. But shouldn't that be true of all of us? Amen? Of the overflowing of his man's heart, his mouth speaks. Worship is a choice. But it was going to be their job, their responsibility. These, they had to do it every day. They would come before the ark and they would make sacrifices before the Lord. And a spiritually mature believer has a heart to worship God. If you've not made worship a priority, if it does not flow from your heart, it's it's time to come back to a heart of worship. Amen? By the way, we all worship something. We're all serving something. We're all serving somebody. It may be the devil. It might be the Lord, right? Bob Dylan. Got to serve somebody. Amen? But we all serve something. Is it your career? And again, do your job as unto the Lord. Uh, you know, there are things in life that are okay, but we don't make them before the Lord. If, they, if we do, they become false idols. So first of all, worship is a choice. Worship is also singing to an audience of one. The, past, the church I pastored in Santa Cruz, uh, we played the music kind of loud, and some people would get upset sometimes. But I tell them, when we get to heaven, I don't think worship's going to be quiet. Amen? Can you imagine billions of people around the throne and out walks almighty God? Do you think we might be a little excited about that? Do you think we might be bringing the roof down? Amen? And it, you know what's great too in our church in Santa because it was kind of loud and some people would complain and if I knew them well enough, I'd say, well, we keep it loud enough so you can sing your heart out and offend no one. Amen? Because <laughs> in reality, it's a joyful noise unto the Lord, Right? However we may sound to the world is irrelevant. You're not singing for the people around you. You're singing to the great I am, amen? You're singing to an audience of one. When we worship here, it's practice for heaven. We will worship him forevermore. Number three, worship remembers how good God is and all he has done for us. See, as we worship, what we're doing is we're thanking God. We're praising God. We're, we're crying out to God. We're, you know, we're, we're all, our hearts are being knit to the heart of God as we worship the Lord. See, worship is singing to God, to an audience of one. And again, we're all performing to him. We present our songs and our lives and our hearts to him. And then it says we commemorate. And again, that's where we remember. That's what that word remembers. So when we're singing, we're remembering all that God has done. You'll hear me when I pray, you know, the, the Lord's, they call it the Lord's prayer, but it's really the prayer, the, the example prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer because he wouldn't need to pray this. Amen. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. They will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you notice what it starts with. Our hallowed be thy name. See, the first thing we ought to do when we pray is praise him first. Can I get an amen to that? When we talk about the greatness of our God, you're holy, you're right. You hear me when I pray. You're a holy, righteous, just, and faithful God. You're almighty, all-knowing, and all-powerful. We are so, you know what, it, when, you, when you recognize that, when you begin with praise, all of a sudden, whatever you're praying for doesn't seem that big because our God is great. Amen? See, our, our troubles are only great if our God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. Amen? Worship also, to commemorate, worship requires that we remember, again, all that God has done for us. Worship also acknowledges the greatness of our God. Again, he is great and greatly to be praised. And David remembers the glimpses of God that he's been taught in the, he's caught in the tabernacle. And the praise and blessings are words that describe worship. This all comes when David remembers the Lord while he was laying on his bed. This is Psalm 63, a Psalm of David. It says there, oh God, thou art my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for for you. My flesh longs for you 
in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see your power and your glory. So as I have seen you in the sanctuary, because your loving kindness is better than life, my, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. While I live, I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as the marrow and fatness of my mouth shall praise thee with, flow, with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on these things at night. You know, most of you, all of you guys know, most of you know that my son that passed away eight months ago really struggled with depression. And it was almost always at night. And when, when I would go in and he'd be in tears, I would, I would sit with him when we would pray. And I'd say, son, let's keep our eyes on the Lord. See, the enemy wants to draw us away from God. He wants to discourage us. And see, it's the enemy that brings the depression. But you know how we rid ourselves of it? We get our eyes back on the Lord. Amen. We focus on him and his goodness and his greatness, and he is greater than even the greatest of trials. I think it's valuable to take time to remember those glimpses you've gotten of the Lord. It's good to remember the things that God has done in your life. But sometimes we get so depressed that we can't remember a nice thing if we tried. I think this is a thing that we should always remember, God's love for us. It says in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do you know what something is worth by somebody, what someone's willing to pay? How valuable are you to God? He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He went to the cross of Calvary so you might have eternal life. This is how much you mean to him. When the enemy lies to you and tells you you're of no value, you remember what the Lord has done for you. And also, worship should be filled with joy. It gives, gives thanks for God's greatness. And notice what it says there, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. He alone is worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. The word praise there is hallel, which means to shine, to boast, to make a boast. You know what? We, don't need, we shouldn't be bragging about anything but our Savior. We can brag on Jesus, amen? Let me tell you about my God. He's great. He's holy. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's just. He loves you. He's all-knowing. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and Omega. He always has been. He always will be. He's an awesome God. He's a holy, and we could just go on and on and on and on and brag about our God. Amen? And he's worthy to be praised and to be worshiped. Worship is to be filled with joy, that deep-felt adoration for our King. And again, as we spend time in his presence, we can't help but praise him. It says, Asaph, the chief next to him, Zechariah, and then Jael, and then Shemaroth, and then Jehul, and Mattatiah, Eliab, Benaniah, Obed-Edom. Now, Obed-Edom, remember, he was the guy that had the ark in his house for three months. And he's the only guy that was probably bummed out when they took it to Jerusalem. He had God's presence in his house. You know what's good, you know what's good guys? There's not an ark anymore. We have the God who the ark po pointed to, and you know what? He dwells in our house. Amen? Wherever you go, the Holy Spirit just showed up because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You know, it's interesting. Asaph is listed there. We're going to see that he, later on, that he became the worship leader. Before that, he was like, a, you know, in a different position, but now he's going to be the worship leader. And we're going to see that his descendants write 12 of the Psalms. So we're going to get to this in a minute. David writes a song, if you will, and Asaph's going to be the one that puts music to it. So when you go through the Psalms, those are literally songs that are written about our Lord. It says, Jehu, stringed, the stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with the cymbals. Benaniah and Jahaziel, the priests regularly blew the trumpets before the ark of the covenant of God. So that you, we see that, that, again, as we're about to read this psalm written by David. So David's going to write this song of thanksgiving to God. David's going to sit down and he's going to write a song about the Lord and how thankful he is for all the Lord has done. Can I encourage you, if you've never done it, get a, get a journal and take some time to just write letters to God. Tell him how thankful you are, how much you appreciate him, how blessed you are by him. Amen? 
And just, Lord, I love you, I praise you, I worship you. And that's exactly what we're going to see David do. So point number two there, a spiritually mature believer has a heart to worship God. We see all these things flowing out of David. We see David's heart to worship the Lord. And we see that worship is a choice. It's singing to an audience of one, remembers how good God is, is and what he's done for us. It acknowledges his greatness. It's filled with joy. Number three, true worship comes from a heart of thanksgiving. It says, on that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hands of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. So God has done great and awesome things. And here's the temptation. David could have easily taken credit. David could have easily said, look what all I did for the Lord. By the way, the Lord doesn't need you. You need him. Amen. And I think there's very few things more nauseating than someone telling you how wonderful they are in all that they do for the Lord. The Bible says he, he, it says that, uh, you know, he can use a donkey. He used a donkey. Amen. It says he used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God doesn't need us. We need him. And he gets all the glory. Now watch as he writes to the Lord. This is so, so good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name, make known his deeds amongst the people. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Like many Psalms, this one begins with a call to praise. It's basically in a commandment, like give thanks to the Lord. He's calling them out to give thanks to the Lord because he is worthy to be worshiped. It breathes with excitement for this is a true command. It is an exhortation that the community of God's people should join in praises to the Lord. All good that we have comes from God. Anything good you have came from the Lord. If you have a good job and you work hard at it, God gave you the ability to do it and God gave you the job. Amen? So we give him the praise, not us. If you have a gift to lead people into worship, God gets all the glory. Praise God you're using your gift, but God gets the glory because God's the one that gave you the ability to do so. Amen? So anything that we do is only because of the grace of God. Notice he says there, give thanks, call upon, make his name, make his name known, sing, talk, glory, seek, remember. In a few verses, David lists a remarkable number of ways, at least eight, that one can praise and glorify God. And some of them speak directly to God. And some, again, worship in front of others. Make known his deeds among the people. Do people need to hear about Jesus? In a big way. The Bible says in the last days, they'll call good evil and evil good. We're living in a time right now where people can't even figure out who men and women are. We're living in a time right now where, I mean, it's just so, what a disaster. You know why this is? Because it's all lives of the enemy that want to take people. God created the male and female. Game over. Amen? You know what happens, though? If we indoctrinate you with a lie long enough, you'll believe it. People don't, don't believe in creation. God, you know why? Because if you believe in creation, you gotta, you gotta surrender to the creator. Amen? Marriage, God created it. God defines it. But see, we live in a time where people need to know the truth of who God is. Make known his deeds to the people. Verse nine, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of his wondrous works. Verse 10, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. And I love that. Let, let us rejoice. When was the last time you rejoiced? When was the last time you were rejoicing? And sometimes we can get so bummed out about life. I can't rejoice. Gas is like eight bucks a gallon. How am I going to rejoice? Right? We get this mentality that we get focused on temporal stuff that won't matter when we get to heaven. Amen. And you know what? It doesn't matter now because it all belongs to the Lord. And he is greater than our circumstances. Sing psalms to him. Glory in his na holy name. Verse, and it, so let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seeking God is not a somber-faced event. I'm going to go seek the Lord, man. You know, as Christians, we should be the most joyful people on the planet. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kind. Joy comes from the Lord. You've heard me give the acronym Jesus, others, yourself. That's joy, right? J-O-Y. Put Jesus first, others second, yourself last, you'll have joy. If you have yourself first, you got yoge, and you won't have any joy, amen? You'll be so caught up in your circumstances and your life that you'll lose out on the joy that can only come from the Lord. 
He says in verse 11, seek the Lord and his strength. How many could use some strength from the Lord? In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. I may have shared this with you, but I will, you know, repetition's okay sometimes. Well, you know that or you wouldn't be coming to church here, okay? (laughs) But one of the things my wife said to me a few months after Mark went to heaven, I I was crying every day, every day. And I still cry most days because I miss my son. And if I focus on where he is, I'm okay. It's when I focus on where he's not that I really hurt. It's like someone ripped my heart out of my chest. But one day I was standing in front of the sink and I pulled a mug out of the dishwasher and it was one of my sons and I just started crying. And my my wife said this to me and she wasn't trying to be harsh, but she said, you know, babe, in the 37 years we've been married, you've always been so strong. I could always look to you. And, you know, when we went through trials in the past, I would just look at you. And if you were okay, I knew we'd be okay. But babe, this time you're not strong. I've never seen you so weak. I've never seen you so emotional. And and you know, I told her, I said, the Bible says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? See, we need his strength, not our strength. It's not us, you know, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and just trying harder. By the way, how's that working out? Amen? It's right up there with all your New Year's resolutions that last for four days, right? So it's not us trying harder. It's us surrendering more. It's not our strength. It's his strength. And we need to rely upon the strength that only he can give us. Verse 12, remember his marvelous, or seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Remember his marvelous works. The word remember there means to recall or to call to mind. This word is used to describe uh, part of the Levites' responsibilities in worship is to record and remember all the great things God has done. You know how you'll forget? You'll stop reading the word. Amen? Have you ever been feeling dry or you feel distant from the Lord and then you open up the Bible and you read it and you're reminded of who he is and by the time you're done, you're back joyful again? Amen? You desire the word of God more than your necessary food. If you don't spend time, if you don't, you know, if you don't open the fridge, you're going to starve. If you don't open the Bible, you're going to be spiritually starved. Amen? And so there's an encouragement here that to seek his face, to remember his marvelous works. Remember all that God has done. He said light is and light was. Amen? He created the universe in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. So if he can... Create the heavens and the earth. Put the earth exactly where it is, the perfect distance between the sun and and to give us the right elements that we can breathe and all that he's done, create our bodies the way that he did. If God can do that with a word, can he handle your problems? Can he take care of the trials and difficulties you're going through? Of course he can. And that's why we need to remember the greatness of our God. We don't pray to a dead idol. We pray to a risen and living savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? And when we talk of his marvelous works, we should be free from talking about other people's works. Amen? When we're talking about him, when we're bragging on Jesus, when we're pointing people to the Lord, we're taking the focus off of ourselves and we're taking the focus off of, uh, you know, go attacking somebody else. Notice he says, O seed of Israel, his chosen ones. This call to praise is directed to the people of God. As well noted later in the psalm, all creation has a responsibility to praise its creator, but there's a special responsibility of God's people. We should not be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? So when the world doesn't praise God, when the world ignores God, when the world mocks God, that's what people who don't know God do. But we are different because we are filled with the spirit of the living God. We've been born again. Our name's written in the Lamb's book of life. We've been adopted into his family and we should be praising God. Amen? So the world can be quiet, but we must never be. So point number two there, number three, true worship comes from a heart of thanksgiving. They can't help but praise God tells them, you're the chosen ones. God has called you. Again, be reminded, the next time the enemy is going after you, remember who you are in Christ. Remember that you've been adopted into his family and you're one of his kids. Point number four, worship remembers the promises 
of God. Look at verses 14 to 19. Let me just read this all together and then we'll look at it. It says, he is the Lord our God. His judgments were in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The words which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath with Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give you the land of Canaan. And I will, and the allotment of your inheritance. And when you, when you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. Now remember who he's writing to. Those who had been banished from Israel and their descendants, and they spent 70 years in Babylon, and now they're coming back to, to Jerusalem, they're coming back to Israel. It needs to be rebuilt, and they're being reminded of all that God has done, that all the promises he has made, that he's been faithful to them in the past and he will continue to be faithful. What did he tell Abraham? Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham just had his family. And then the Lord came to him and told him that his wife, his 99-year-old wife was gonna have a baby. And when Sarah heard it, she laughed. Dude, I'm, I'm old and my husband's good as dead, it says. It's in the text. That's the Bible. And they, were, they just didn't believe that God could do it. And then, of course, we know there was a little sidetrack with Hagar, but eventually she does get pregnant. And the point is that God told him that his descendants would number as the stars in the sky. Now, how is that if you're 100, your wife's in her 90s? Like, this is impossible. All things are possible with God, amen? And what does he do? He fulfills that promise. And so he says, look, when you're, when you're overwhelmed, you know, as we seek the Lord, remember all the miracles that God has done. Remember the promise he made to Abraham. By the way, all these people that he's talking to are descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He gave another promise to Isaac. And then he gave that same promise to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel are his descendants. These guys all are descendants. They are the fulfillment of God's promise. What a blessing that is. Amen. They're the fulfillment, and they should be reminded of it. Notice it says he has judgment on the earth. He will soon begin to sing about the special relationship between the Lord and his covenant people, yet he begins by letting them know that all the earth is under his authority. The same people that mock God, that curse God, that want nothing to do with God, will one day stand before Almighty God, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Muhammad will bow to Jesus. Amen? All the false gods of this world will bow to Jesus. Why? Because all those other gods were created by man to take people's eyes off the true and the living God. And you know what? And they're all doctrines that the enemy has used to draw people away. So be mindful always of his covenant. And again, be reminded, remember all the promises he's made and how faithful he's been to them. Notice down there in verse 17, it says, to Israel an everlasting covenant. That means God's promise never goes away. This is a promise that God made and he doesn't change his mind. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change his mind? Amen? If God says it, that settles it. Once he makes a promise to us, then we, can, we know that he will never change his mind because he is a faithful God. It's an everlasting covenant. He told them he would give them Canaan. Now remember that Canaan, when they first got there, it was the land of the giants. You guys remember that? And do you remember when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? And they, the, the only reason they wandered in the wilderness, they got to, to the land of promise in probably about 10 days. And they sent in the spies to spy it out. And two of them came back. Who knows their names? Jacob and jo Joshua and Caleb. There you go. Joshua and Caleb came in and said, it's just like the Lord said, there's giants in there, but we'll snap them off like grasshoppers, no problem. And by the way, there's, you know, there's grapes the size of bowling balls. I mean, it's amazing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But the other 10 spies came back and said, oh, they'll kill us. They're going to crush us. And so they didn't go in. So what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody in that generation, all the adults died. And the only two they got to enter in that were adults were Joshua and Caleb because they trusted the Lord. But see, God had promised them, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, some good news. If God is for you, who can be against you? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You plus God is a majority. Amen? And so what happened was they looked at the size of the enemy and they panicked. And he told them, he says right here in this verse, whether you are few, even if you're few in number, 
God, is, God has his hand upon you. He confirmed to them, and it says there, saying, I will give you the land of Canaan as an allotment when you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. You were outnumbered, but God is for you. Gideon, you remember Gideon, his army? And he was outnumbered like 40 to 1. And the guy goes, yeah, you have too many people. You might think you're just really... So let's just get rid of some more people. If they, if they get the water this way, and then they left. First he said, anybody wants to go home, go home. They left. And then by the, the time he got down to 300 guys, and they were outnumbered, you know, 400 to one, whatever it was, some huge number to one. And then they won the victory, and guess who got the glory? God did. Because they knew they couldn't have done it on their own. Amen? So it's good to be in that place. God had promised them that they would get the land and sadly, so many missed out because they didn't trust in God's promises. When we were yet but few, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob didn't start out as much. But again, if God is for us, who can be against us? They were outnumbered by pagans in the land. They were strangers in the land. By the way, do you feel like that right about now? Feel a little outnumbered? But you plus God is the majority. Everybody's leaving California because we're outnumbered here. You know what? Maybe Gideon's going to get rid of, you know, like Gideon, a bunch of them will have to leave and then we'll stay here and watch God do something great. Amen? Our God is greater still. We trust him. He's a faithful God. We are few. When you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. So worship remembers the promises of God. They're reminded what God had promised Abraham, what God had promised Isaac, what God had promised Jacob. Now, worship remembers, again, the promises of God. Now, worship rests in God's protection upon us. Look at verse 20 to 22. When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my, and do my prophets no harm. So even when they had rebelled against God, and even when they were not where God wanted them to be, God would watch over them. Abraham went down to Egypt. You guys remember this? Why did he go to Egypt? Because there was famine, and he heard there was food in Egypt, but God had promised to provide. And then when he went down to Egypt, on the way to Egypt, he pulls aside his beautiful wife, Sarah, and says what to her? Tell them you're my sister. Because if they know you're my wife, they might kill you and take you from me. By the way, I don't know how any wife stays with that knucklehead. Amen? Can you imagine going over and telling your wife, I got some people coming over, just tell them you're my sister. That ain't going over, man. That ain't happening. And Sarah goes along with that. And we know what happens is that God reveals it to the king because he tried to take Sarah into his harem. You remember that? And God woke him up. Did you notice, even when he's being a knucklehead, God protected, because he knew through Sarah would come Isaac. And through Isaac would come Jacob. And through the line of Jacob would come the Messiah. Amen? Through the line of Judah would come David. And through David, later down the line, would come the Messiah. See, God is faithful even when we are faithless. Now, sin has consequences. Don't just walk in open rebellion against Almighty God and not think that consequences will come. Notice they, weren't, they went from one nation to another. They weren't comfortable in this world. And you know, as believers, we're not, this is not our home either. Amen? This is not our home. I said this on Sunday. Sometimes people say to me, yeah, I want, I want the church to be raptured, just not now. I got stuff I want to do. I got a Corvette on order, or I got, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm waiting for my new car, or my, you know, I've, I've got a vacation coming. Guess what? Heaven's better than all of it. Heaven's better, amen? So Abraham with Pharaoh lied, Abraham and Abimelech, Isaac and Abimelech, Jacob and Laban, and God continued in the midst of all that. It says there in verse 22, do not touch my anointed. They were God's anointed men. God protected them even when they did stupid things. David will use this same phrase when he gives, is, was given an opportunity to kill Saul. Touch not the Lord's anointed. You guys remember that? David's on the run from Saul. David's the anointed king. Saul's been told the kingdom's ripped from him. Saul's trying to kill David. He's got his whole army trying to kill David. David's hiding in a cave with some of his men, and Saul comes in to use the bathroom. Pulls up his robe. He's bent down. That's, boy, if there's a way to get somebody, that's it. And do you remember that? All his, all his army said, dude, look what the Lord did. Get him. Stick him. And what did he say? I will not touch the Lord's anointed. 
Amen? Will not touch the Lord's anointed. God's protection, even when we aren't perfect, God protects us. We may wander like gypsies through the world, but God is looking out for us. And again, you guys, this is not our home. You know, we're just here recruiting, amen? We're recruiting people for heaven. Point number six, we, work, we, protect, we rest in God's protection. We saw that they did that. And then when we worship the Lord, we're proclaiming his greatness to a lost and a dying world. Look at verse 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Now, who's to sing to the Lord? Everyone, all creation, we're all called to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. When was the last time you proclaimed the good news of his salvation? When was the last time you shared that with anybody? When was the last time you sang about it, talked about it? Guys, we can't keep this to ourselves. People are dying and going to hell without Jesus. We have the answer. The most selfish thing you could do is go to heaven by yourself. Amen? We need to pray for divine appointments. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. As believers, we fear God and nothing else. Amen? The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You can't threaten me with heaven. The worst thing the world can do to me would be the best thing that could happen to me. So we fear God and nothing else. Here's the world. They fear everything else except God. Amen? They're petrified of COVID. Petrified of everything. Scared to death of everything. Worried about global warming. Again, we should be good stewards of the earth. But guess what? I'm not worried about global warming because God's going to, the Lord's coming back. Amen? I'm not worried about the temporal things of this world, but the world is afraid of everything except God. And when we fear God, we will fear nothing else. Amen? The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the reason that the world looks so foolish right now is it does not fear God at all. He is greatly to be praised. But the Lord says, Therefore all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You know, people would take a block of wood and they would cut it in half and half of it they would burn to keep their house warm and the other half they would carve into an idol, put on a, an altar and worship it. And, and that's what happens in the world today. Now we may not worship blocks of wood, but we may worship our bank account. We may worship our careers or we may worship the things of this world. And we need to be careful, again, that nothing should come before the Lord. It says in verse 27, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him in all the earth. The world also and firmly established, it shall not be moved. In these verses right here, there's, there's four reasons to share your faith with other people. In verse 25, it tells us he's great. In verse 26, it tells us he is to be feared above, or verse 25 also, he is to be feared above all gods. In verse 26, that all other gods are idols and they're worthless. And in verse 26, that he is the creator. Almighty God created you and he created you uniquely. No one else has ever had your DNA. You are special and precious to him. He numbers the hairs on your head. For some of us, that's not that many, but he know, he's numbered it. He knows everything about you. He knows you best and he loves you most. Amen? He knows all the frailties and all the failures and he still loves you. That's our God and he is worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. Amen? Worship rest in God's protection upon us. And when we worship the Lord, we are proclaiming his greatness to a lost and a dying world. Point number seven, verse 31 to 33. If we don't worship, the creation will cry out. Look at verse 31. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it that the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Guys, if we don't praise the Lord, the rocks will cry out his name. 
that the heavens and the earth, David knew that creation itself praised God. He knew that the beauty and power and the skill and majesty of creation was itself a testimony to the greatness of God. Have you ever gone out and seen something so magnificent in nature that you just know this is only God could do this? I used, to, I used to scuba dive, not a lot, but I used to scuba dive and going down to in, in the depths of the sea and just seeing the creation that's down there and how God holds it all together. It's amazing. Amen. And whether you look through a telescope or a microscope, you see the handiwork of God. Amen. When you look at the smallest, most insignificant things and you see the hand, I mean, a strand of DNA blows everyone away. Amen. And when you look at that and you say, man, man, our God is so great. He's a God of detail. And then you look at the stars and they keep saying, I, I love how when I was in high school, the world was X number of trillion years old. Now it's like three. T- so I'm really old evidently because they've added a couple trillion years to the age of the universe since I was in high school. And the reason, and what happens is because they can't explain the size of the, you know, it's, it's greater than they think. And the Bible says he holds it all in the span of his hand. That's our God. Amen. We have nothing to be afraid of. If he can hold the universe in the span of his hand, we talked about this on Sunday in the great day of the, in the day of the Lord. All he has to do is let go for a second and it all falls apart. Amen? He's the one that holds it together in his hands. And he is the one that we worship. And if we don't worship, the creation will cry out. Many people say that if you just go around and you listen to creation, that, they, that creation is worshiping God. When you hear the birds in the air and the wind blowing through the trees and all that's going on around us, and it's our God who created it all. Amen? In worship, we celebrate God's faithfulness. Look at verse 34. Watch what it says here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? He's good. Then it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures how long? So mercy, grace is being given something you don't deserve. Mercy is not being given something you do deserve. I want grace and mercy. How about you? So what do we all deserve? What's the answer? What do we all deserve? What's the answer? Hellfire. Oh, I didn't come for that. I didn't come for that. Who invited you? I didn't know that this pastor's crazy. No, look, here's the reality. We're all sinners. God cannot have sin in his presence, or he has earth part two. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we all deserve? Separation from Almighty God for all eternity. Here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ came to earth and died in our place, took all our sin upon himself. And if we will believe in our house, heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will wipe away all of our sins, separate as far as the east is from the west. We will be forgiven and we will be able to enter into his presence because he looks at us through the shed blood of his son and he sees us as holy and perfect sinners no more. Amen? See, that's our God. And so we can't enter into heaven unless our sin's been wiped away. But sadly... Too many, too many of us want to hold on to that instead of surrendering our lives to the Lord. He is good, and his mercy endures forever. I'm so glad that he doesn't get to a point where he's had enough mercy for me that he gives up. Amen? Aren't you glad that, okay, Dave, I, I had you till I had you for the first 27 million cents, 27 million and one, that's it, I'm out. God doesn't do that, amen? He's a gracious God, and he's a merciful God. I deserve it. You deserve it. I love that analogy that you're standing before a judge and, and the fine is $5 billion and you got 45 cents in your pocket. You're in trouble. And, they're like, and, and they, they hit the gavel and you're going to jail for the rest of your life. And here's the good news. The judge is the Lord, but he came down from being the judge and stood by you and said, I'll pay his price for him. I'll pay her price for her. And then he paid the price for us so that we could be, so he's, he's not only the judge, but he's the one that redeems us and saves us so that we can escape righteous judgment. Amen? That's our God. Guys, we're not excited about Jesus. Wake up. Amen? We celebrate God's faithfulness. He says there in verse 35, and say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together, deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Our God is not created. He is creator. You want a headache? God's always been there. 
Where was he before that? He was there. Well, what about a trillion years? He was there. Now, if you really want a headache, he's outside of time and space. So what's outside of time and what's outside of space? What is that? What, what is there that's no space? Your head's going to explode. Why? Because we're finite men and women trying to understand infinite God. Our God is greater than we can ever grasp. Amen? I promise you when you get to heaven, no matter how great you think God is, you're going to be blown away by the greatness of our God. And you know what? I've already said this. I try to imagine it because I'm only so finite, but I imagine, Lord, I know you're that great, so I should be praying now. I don't want to get there and go, man, if, if I knew you were this great, I'd have prayed more. Amen? I would, have, I would have shared more. I would have been less ashamed of you. Amen? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Most common of phrases in all the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. These are different verses in, oh, King James, in the King James. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 118, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. Isn't it good that his mercy endures forever? He's reminding us again and again and again, and he is faithful to his promise. The word good there, uh, you know, God is good all the time. My dad was a Baptist preacher for 30 years before he became a Calvary Chapel guy. And, you know, they have some stuff like in the Baptist church. You, you greet people and say, God is good. And what do people all say back to you? All the time. And then they say, all the time. You say, God is good. Amen. And you know what? We need to be reminded of that. God is good all the time. You know what? God is good even when your 28-year-old son goes to heaven. Amen? God is good when you're diagnosed with cancer. God is good when you just lost your job. God is good when you just broke up in a, a, a serious relationship. God is still good. God is still faithful. Amen? And we trust him in the midst of it. He's good. He's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. Praise the Lord for him. Amen? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting. And all the people said, what? Amen. Amen. See, it's right there. Not just me. Amen. And praised the Lord. All the people said amen. That reminds me of David's psalm was not uh, sung as a solo. It said they all praised the Lord. They're all reading this. They're all singing this together. You know, one of the many blessings of having grown up in the church, I got saved in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in 1968. And I, bet, I can't even number the name of, of, of worship songs that I know. And isn't it amazing, especially like you'll be in your car or in the shower, somewhere you're by yourself, and all of a sudden you just start singing a worship song. Amen? And it just comes to you, a worship song and stuff that's so good. And, you'll think, and I just love, and by the way, you know, uh, people could, when I was a youth pastor, kids used to say, it's so hard to memorize scripture, pastor. And then I'll, and then I'll say, what's the most popular song on the radio right now? And then uh, and I'll ask somebody and we'll start, start singing. And everybody knows the words of that. <laughs> Amen. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Commit his word to memory. Final point, worship is to be continual. It's to never stop. Look what it says there. I'll read verse 37 to 43, make a couple of comments, we'll be done. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jadathun, and Hosea, and the gate to be gatekeepers, and Zadok the priest, and his brethren and the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was in Gibeon, and all the burnt offerings to the Lord at the altar burnt offering, regularly morning and evening, and to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. And with them Haman and Jeduthun, and the rest of those who were chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord, because his mercy endures forever. There it is again. And with them Haman and Jaduthan, to sound aloud the trumpets and the cymbals and the musical instruments of God. Now the sons of Jaduthan were the gatekeepers, and all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. Notice that it's talking about all these people who continued to worship the Lord day by day. There were those who were assigned to make sacrifices every day as worship to the Lord. Those who were called to bring the people into a place of worship and to sing praise songs to the Lord. And you know what? All these people were put in place. And here's what I love about this. I'll close with this. Back in those days, you couldn't just put out your, you know, you just couldn't flip out your phone and start listening to music, right? You, you, worship music 
was not easy, an easy thing to make happen. But here's what I love, and I love this because it, we do it here. When you're getting close to the tabernacle, you know what you heard? Worship. And worship was there all the time. And so as people came near, they could hear the Lord being praised and hear him being worshiped. Because guys, when we get to heaven, the worship is never going to stop. Amen? And we want to worship. Worship just is such a beautiful thing. It's what we were created to do. It's when we're walking in what God has called us to be. We saw there all those who would continue. Don't neglect Again, David returned to bless his own house. Let's finish with that. Notice that David, while he worshiped the Lord, he was also faithful to minister to his family. Amen? And there's something that can happen. We can be so busy serving the Lord, we forget that our first ministry is in serving our family. Amen? Bible even says a man that cannot rule in his own house, how can he rule in the church? So it is important that we use our gifts here, but we need to begin by using those gifts. I need to, my first ministry is my wife and my children and my grandchildren, and I need to be faithful to minister to them. Amen? And I've met people that are so busy ministering to other people that their family gets left behind. David doesn't do that. He makes sure everyone is in place, and he goes home to bless his own family. So in closing, the heart of worship First, we see the joy of true worship. Then a spiritually mature believer has a heart to worship God. Again, out of the overflowing of your mouth, your heart speaks. If you, if you come to church late because you don't think worship's important, or if during worship you just are reading your Bible or, or looking around, I want to encourage you to start worshiping. Amen? True worship comes from a heart of thanksgiving. You know, when you think about all the Lord has done for you, you can't help but worship. Worship remembers the promises of God, praise the Lord for his promises. Worship rests in God's protection upon us. God is for us who can be against us. When we worship the Lord, we're proclaiming the greatness to a lost and a dying world. When you worship the Lord, the world is going to notice. And they might think you're crazy, but that's okay. Amen? And if we don't worship, creation will cry out. In worship, we celebrate God's faithfulness, and worship must never stop. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, and we do worship your holy and majestic name. You are a great and awesome God, and we are so blessed that you've adopted us into your family, that we've been forgiven, that you've written our name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. And help us to be people who worship. Help us to be unashamed of who we are in you, to shout it from the mountaintops. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray you give us divine appointments to tell others about you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.